You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm 67. It can be found on page 481 in your pew Bible. We should note that if you do not own a Bible, you're not only free to use the one that's in front of you, but you are welcome to take it with us or with you, with you as a gift. This is Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please uh, stand for the gospel reading. According to St. Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is a good thing that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Good morning, friends. It is good to be with you this morning, and welcome to our third Sunday of our series this summer, The Summer in the Psalms. Happy summer to you. Um, We will see friends coming and going for family trips, sports camps, sleepaway camps, all sorts of summer activity. I loved summer camp. I loved the sleepaway camps that took me out into the mountains and away from 
the routines of home. I love the camaraderie. I love the belonging. I love the intimacy of shared special traditions and fun activities like archery and swimming in the lake and fighting off spider infestations in the showers and shooting off one random camp counselor's Civil War muskets. There's nothing like watching a twiggy 11-year-old fly through the air from the recoil of the rifle. I loved camp. And I remember there was our camp song, this song that captured this experience for us, for me. We sang this song every day, multiple times a day. We usually closed each night, often around a, a campfire, a bonfire outside. And we were in circles, shoulders, arms around each other's shoulders, singing this song. And the song had words about what it meant to be a part of this camp community, the values of this camp, what it meant to have a shared bond with other campers who belong to this community. And I would remember going home and being pretty sad at the thought that it would be a whole nother year before we got to go back to camp the next summer. And I have a younger sister, she's a year younger than me, and we had adjoining bedrooms growing up, shared a wall. And usually the first few weeks after camp, when we'd come back at night as we were in our beds, we would sing the camp song back and forth through the bedroom wall because it had a, a, a call and response or a different parts where one person would sing and the other person would sing in rounds. And we'd fall asleep singing this camp song to each other because it was about remembering what was so good of our previous experience. It was about looking ahead, anticipating what was to come in the next camp experience. And it was about connecting and sharing with my sister and feeling connected to even those camp friends that I wasn't with in person as we sang the song. And this is what songs can do. They have such a power for us. And God knows this and gave the Psalms to his people to be a prayer book and a song book. The song that we're looking at today, Psalm 67, it's described as a song. And the Psalms serve God's people throughout history as ways of joining them and us to the conversations that God's people have been having with God for thousands of years. These Psalms, they teach us the new song that Christians, that God's people are supposed to be singing. And so the Psalms have been and continue to be the main songbook for God's people. And most Christians across most of the church's history have read and sung the Psalms because they teach us about God, but they more so teach us how to be in conversation with God, what to think, what to feel, what to remember, what to look forward to as we commune with him. And so that is what we have the privilege of doing today to consider this particular song. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, may the meditations of my mouth and of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Psalm 67, this beautiful song, speaks of how God's people seek God's face in order to receive God's blessing. And they seek God's blessing in order to have the whole world be blessed. They seek God's blessing to be a blessing to others. So we're going to explore that in two particular ways this morning. We're going to see how this psalmist who writes the psalm, he has a confidence that God's face holds favor. He has a confidence that God's face holds favor. And he has a compassion 
that God's favor or blessing, that God should have that favor for all the nations. The psalmist has a compassion that God should favor or bless all the nations and not just Israel. And so let's begin with verse one. We see that uh, the psalmist is asking for God's blessing. And the language of this might actually sound really familiar to you. And it should because this is from another blessing that happens early in scripture from Numbers 6. This is a blessing that many churches still use for their benediction at the end of worship services. And this blessing originally was given by God, Yahweh, through Moses to Moses' brother Aaron and his sons because God had appointed Aaron and his sons to oversee the priesthood of Israel. So this is after God has brought Israel, those people out of Egypt, formed them into this nation, into this people, and has begun to order their way of lives. And he has set up the priesthood and tasked Aaron and his sons to oversee this work. And so as priests, they would be tasked with speaking God's intention and God's blessing over the people. And so the original blessing in number six reads, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, says the Lord. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so this blessing served to remind Israel of what God was like and what God had done. God is the one who gives peace and grace. God is the one who brought Israel out of exile and enslavement and gave them this identity as a new people. He gave them a place to dwell together under his gracious care and a new way of life, living out his law rather than the laws of their contemporaries. And so looking back to Psalm 67, at the very beginning, the psalmist starts out with this request that God lives out his promise, that God keeps his covenant promise of blessing and keeping his people, of shining his face upon them. Because the psalmist knows that he belongs to this God. This is a God that blesses and keeps his people. And that to have God's face look upon you is to have his grace and his favor and his peace come upon you. I wonder, is that what you expect of God looking on you? If you imagine God looking down on you right now, what would you expect to see on God's face as he regards you? Do you expect to see a face shining with favor, a face shining with eagerness to bless and keep you I think many of us might often think or act as if God's gaze is threatening, like the eye of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings series. In the Fellowship of the Ring, this evil King Saruman describes this all-seeing eye of this dark lord, Sauron. He writes, Tolkien writes, concealed within his fortress, the Lord of Mordor sees all. His gaze pierces cloud, shadow, earth, and flesh. You know of what I speak, Gandalf, a great eye, lidless, wreathed in flame, a lidless eye, an eye that cannot blink. It was dangerous to have this gaze upon you. To be seen by this eye was to be exploited for any weakness or vulnerability. It was dangerous to have this unceasing vigilance of Sauron's gaze trained upon you. It was terrifying. Friends, this is not the gaze of God upon this psalmist. 
or upon us. This is not what the gaze of God is like. Our psalmist fearlessly invites God's face to look upon Israel because he remembers and he teaches us to remember that from the beginning of our shared history as God's people, God himself told us that he desires to look upon us with grace and peace and favor, to look upon us with love. That's the confidence that the psalmist holds. And that is why he starts this psalm with this brave, bold, fearless claim that God would bless. And the very next thing we read in verse 2 is the psalmist's prayer that your way, God's way, may be known on earth so you're saving power among all, all nations. This is an incredible link between the psalmist's confidence that God will bless his people and the psalmist's compassionate hope that God's blessing would be for the sake of Israel, sharing that blessing with all the world. Look what happens throughout the rest of the psalm. Verse 3, let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let all the peoples praise you. And verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. That language is about people other than Israel, all the peoples. If you look at the Hebrew, that's goyim. If you grew up in Manhattan or if you have Jewish relatives like I do, goyim is the word that refers to anybody who is not of God's Jewish people. And so the psalmist over and over and over again is talking or speaking or praying about how God's blessing is meant to help all of the world know who God is and how he blesses and keeps his people. Now, the psalmist hasn't originated this idea. This is not a new thought here in Psalm 67. This has always been God's intention. The story of the Bible speaks of how God has worked unendingly to gather and regather his children back to himself and to bless and keep them as his people. The first of God's children, Adam and Eve, were made to be in perfect communion with him but were separated from him in their brokenness and their sin. And so God regathers a people, Israel, to himself by forming them as a nation and teaching them how to be in communion with him again. And God told Israel that their special status in the world was not just for their own enjoyment. It was for the world's ultimate salvation. We see this several times over throughout the Old Testament. Uh, one place in Exodus 19, this is when God regathers Israel at the base of Mount Sinai and is reaffirming this covenant promise, the relationship God has with them and how he promises to bless and keep them and how he asks of them to live under his way. And it reads, now, the Lord says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, it was those last words, a holy nation. It was those last words that Israel often forgot. They might have luxuriated in their status as a, a treasured possession, but they didn't emphasize their priesthood as a holy nation. They were chosen to mediate, as priests did, between a sinful world and a holy God, not just for their own sakes, but for the larger world, through their demonstration of how life could and should be lived under the one true God, God has always intended to use Israel to reach the whole world. And the way Israel would do that was by being a holy nation, a nation so governed by the laws of God that the world could see how good it is 
to live under God's reign. The world would see the light of God's face shining upon Israel and want to come toward the light, to share in that blessing. So this is what our psalmist prays. Now, why might this prayer of the psalmist require a compassion? Why would this be a compassionate prayer? We have to remember that the relationship between Israel and the rest of the world was strained, to say the least. Throughout its history, Israel had to deal with the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, and other lesser nations, and the results were always bloody, sometimes near genocidal, risking the end of God's people's existence. And not surprisingly, Israel came to see the nations as nothing but the enemy, an enemy that needed to be subdued for the Lord, and they would wait upon the Lord to judge them. This was them, the enemy. And here in Psalm 67, there is a clear us and them. There is an us and them. What's amazing is how the us in this Psalm, Israel, the us is for them, not against them. The us is for them. The psalmist is saying, we have experienced blessing, we Israel. And so we want to tell others about what God has done. And because we want to tell others about what God has done, we ask God to do more, to bless us more, so we can continue to talk about it. You know, today the world is still an us versus them easily in many ways. It's a battlefield of us versus them, whether it's battles in the classroom, neighborhood gangs, political camps hurling ideologies back and forth, to actual war between nations. There are often hostilities and divisions, us versus them. And Christians are often no different, whether it's the divisions and hostilities within the Christian community or between us, Christians, and them, the world at large. We are threatened so easily by them. Where are we forgetting God's priestly call here on us as a holy nation? When we pray to God, are we eager to ask for God's blessings and only for our own sake? Do we want to show non-Christians that we were right all along? Do we want to win one for God's team? Or do we want God to bless us so that we can bring blessing to those we disagree with, to our very own enemies? Sadly, Israel did not live up to her holy calling. The prayers of this psalm, Psalm 67, were not fulfilled in the psalmist's lifetime. And so God formed a new Israel, the church. God formed a new Israel, the church. And as before, he began with one man through whom he would bless all the world. His name was Jesus. And this person, Jesus, embodied all that Israel was supposed to be and do. He lived as a holy and perfect man. And he was God's own beloved son. And his first followers introduced him to the world as the one God sent to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in his own face, the face of Jesus Christ. They also described Jesus as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. 
And as we heard in that Matthew passage that was read before the sermon, some of Jesus' closest followers, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they even witnessed Jesus' transfiguration, where Jesus took upon himself just a portion of the fullness of the glory of God in front of them. And as our own Friar Tuck said last Sunday in this term, it was truly awesome. It was awesome and overwhelming to them to see even just a portion of God's glory on Jesus' own face. To look upon Jesus' face was to look upon the face of God. And so what does Jesus' face look like to you? What does his gaze hold for you? If you don't know Jesus well, I invite you to look through the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, which detail the earthly life of Jesus. Look how often scripture mentions Jesus looking upon or gazing upon people. Look how often scripture has this phrase, when Jesus saw them, when Jesus saw him, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on them. That phrase is everywhere in Jesus' interactions with his people. We don't ever have to be afraid to meet God's gaze because his face is full of love. And so as we look to this psalm and the prayer, the confidence that the psalmist has that God's face brings favor. And as we, Lord willing, grow in our own compassion for how we would want God's favor to shine upon us, that we might be blessed and that way you might lead, that might lead to others who don't yet know God's favor to share in that blessing. That is the song that is given to us in this psalm this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, would you teach us to sing this song? Would you teach us to be in conversation with you that we would trust that your gaze holds for us love and grace and peace, that we can boldly ask for your favor. But Lord, teach us also to sing this song of wanting your blessing for the sake of others, not just for ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to sing this song in honor of you and the work that you have called us to do. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.